My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to Transmissions. Our guest today on the show is producer, songwriter, and raconteur Matthew E. White. I've dug White's work for about a decade now, kind of wild to consider. Uh, That's when I first got hip to him with his record Big Inner, which remains a favorite. His work is rooted in the resonant songcraft of artists like Alan Toussaint and Randy Newman, Uh, But one of the things that I appreciate so much about Matthew E. White is the way he continues to branch out and expand. Case in point, the future funk of his third album, K-Bay, which has a foot in that traditional songwriting world, but also uh, moves into strange electronic treatments and really avant-garde approaches. It's a great album, and I had a lot of fun talking with him about it. White is also the founder of the Space Bomb Audio Collective. We talk about that some too. And he's worked with folks like Natalie Prass, Flo Morrissey, The Mountain Goats, and Sharon Van Etten. On today's episode of Transmissions, he joined me to discuss his latest and his collaboration with former Transmissions guest Lonnie Hawley on Broken Mirror, a selfie reflection, which serves as a mutated twin to K-Bay. We also discussed his approach as a producer and uh, touched on the transcendent qualities of one of my all-time favorite songs, The Flamingo's classic doo-wop ode, I Only Have Eyes For You, uh, which is, I believe uh, you could describe it as a mood. Uh, We get into that some. I hope you enjoy today's episode of Transmissions. We drop a new one for you every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you do enjoy what we're doing, I want to take a moment to encourage you to check out the Aquarium Drunkard Patreon. Uh, we just announced news of our long-awaited Aquarium Drunkard zine, Philomath, which features contributions from people like Devendra Banhart, Dennis Bodart, Jesse Jarnow, Tim Presley of White Fence, William Tyler, Willie Vlotten, and myself. You can check out some photos of the zine. It turned out beautifully, printed by our friends over at Serial Box Studio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, turned out really, really great. And if you want to get your hands on one, you can check out our Patreon page to help us continue making this independent podcast, as well as our radio show and, uh, of course, our website which features uh, all those mixes and interviews and features and essays that you have come to count on Aquarium Drunkard for for more than 15 years. Um, So check out the Patreon and help us continue doing what we're doing. Before we head into my talk with Matthew, a little real talk. It was recorded last month, uh, and while the situation in Ukraine was not, uh, uh, you know, was was underway in, in... in the, in the way that it was, it hadn't exploded the way it has since. So um, it's not something that Matthew and I discuss, 
And I just wanted to, to make note that uh, in future conversations with guests recorded uh, from this point on, I'm recording this on February 26th, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that entered the conversation to some degree or another, but it, but it didn't on this one. And I wanted to, uh, to make that clear that it was recorded before things were uh, at the point that they currently are. I know nobody comes to transmissions uh, for, you know, purely topical conversations, and that's uh, that's by design. But uh, I felt like it was worth noting. All right. So without any more disclaimers uh, in the way, let's get into my conversation with Matthew E. White. I really enjoyed it, and I think you will too. Feel free to drop me a line. Let me know what you're thinking about the show. I always appreciate hearing from you all, and. Uh, yeah, I'll speak with you a little bit more on the other side. Thanks for listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm so honored to have you here with us today. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us here on the Transmissions Podcast. It's a real pleasure to to have you on. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Am I speaking to you in K-Bay right now? This is your, yeah, this is your yeah. place? This is your, your, your... So so this is where you did the album of the, the same name. Have you been recording a lot in there over the course of the, the pandemic, too? Has it been easier to, to kind of stay hunkered down there? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like the last year has been really, uh, really fruitful in terms of recording, recorded uh, almost three records in the past year, um, a couple of instrumental records and hopefully another full length. Um, just kind of been going to town a little bit. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Is that is that a, is that an increased uh, kind of productivity rate for you? Um it yeah like under under my name or under like yeah things that that are directly related to to my artist career yeah definitely a lot of times my um like workload is producing people you know i mean sure sure kind of goes in waves for sure like it's very seasonal but um yeah i mean i've done a little bit less production over the past year or so and for some for obvious reasons and um also just just uh working on some instrumental music has been really cathartic and and fun and just getting away from thinking about songs not, i mean i love thinking about songs but that's that's um for me that that just that takes a little bit longer uh sure. for doing some more instrumental things or it's been really fun just digging into sounds and and collaborations that are not not related to songs in the same way that k bay is for instance right right well we're gonna get into to that a little bit but i wanted to start off by asking you uh something something else actually uh the other the other day you tweeted um it's always a bad sign when somebody starts talking about something somebody tweeted um yeah 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 uh i saw the look of terror on your face uh you tweeted i like the old old ken burns documentaries Shit is boring as hell, and I love it. Uh, I wondered if you could tell me what do you think your favorite boring documentary is? Uh, you know, what what's one that you put on to sort of zone out or or whatever? 
Well, I, I just watched this American Masters on Flannery O'Connor, mm. which I thought was really good. It's just it just kind of like the the pre-streaming platform documentaries that are a little less design. They're a little less pop in a way. They're it's it's pretty dry. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I don't know. I just really enjoy those for whatever reason. I feel less catered to in a, in a weird way or something. It's just it's sort of like direct injection of information. Yeah, uh, that's really. I I find them very very relaxing. How about how about music documentaries? Do you gravitate towards music docs? No, not really. I, I'd sort of had, I sort of stay away actually. Mm. Um, I don't know why that is. I think, I think it's just, I don't know. It's probably psychologically complex. Some of it is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, like just, just overload of like musical information. Some of it's probably just like jealousy or something a little bit more like, yeah, yeah. You know, sad, but, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of, I'd much rather watch a documentary on Flannery O'Connor than than like, uh, I don't know, there's that new Bee Gees one that came out that I've sort of been staying away from. Although I'm sure I'd love it. Every time I, I watch him, I love him. I watched Get Back. I thought that was, I mean, that was mind, I mean, so incredible, really mind blowing. I've, I've but, only, I've only watched it once, but I'm, I'm kind of jonesing to watch it again, actually. Oh, um, yeah, me too. I, I, I feel like, I could go three or four times with that thing. It's it's really, really, really special, really special. You know what's funny to me is I I, I kind of thought maybe you know when I threw the musical documentary question out that you might answer, uh, with something like this. But in in genuine hesitation, you have a lyric right where you say, uh, "I dance with you, baby, but my hands are on fire." And I don't know where you picked up that phrase, but that there's a phrase that's very similar in the Scorsese Dylan documentary, right? No Direction Home, where he says that. And the only reason that stuck out to me is because I was once in a band that took its name from that line. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I could have copped that line. I mean, who knows? You never, this stuff goes into our heads and then it comes out in yeah. the music. It's not like a thing where it's like, uh, you wrote that down, like I got to get this line in or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, some. Of, I mean, it, it could it could be that I'm, I have like a lyrics note in my phone that I'm always like, if I hear anything that anyone says or read it or hear it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool lyric. I probably wouldn't have done that for an actual lyric if it was already a lyric. But no, no, it's not uh, a lyric. It's a, it's a, it's like a, it's like a, a line he says. It's like after he, after oh. he, after he's gone electric or something. He's like, uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of, he's kind of musing, you know. But yeah, I, I just, I love, I love that, that line. I, I love that song too. Genuine hesitation is such a jam, man. That's such a great, great recording. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting because we're in this zone where. I think where we're at in terms of just the decades, you know, it, there's sort of a, a late 80s kind of uh, song craft is sort of in the air a little bit, you know. I think of, you know, a band like War on Drugs where they're sort of playing with it a little bit more, you know, directly in terms of like mining those sounds. Or there's even a song on the new Weekend album that's kind of in that that zone. And I hear in genuine hesitation, I hear kind of a, like a dire straight song. Um, 
but it also doesn't sound anything like Dire Straits. Uh, and you go this whole other direction with it. Um, what were you thinking in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of K Bay? You know, were you were you um, where was your head in terms of songcraft? You already mentioned that, like, when it comes to writing songs, that's kind of a different thing for you than just playing around with textures or melodies in an instrumental setting, you know. But this is a pretty song-rooted record. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think for me, like with with these records, where there are songs and I am singing like a an elite singer type way, like yeah. I, <laughs> I am I am approaching them like song first. All the records are really. I just want to have songs that kind of walk on their own two feet and can and can, you know, are are um, worked through. You know, all the all the songs on K Bay are are, are pretty worked out. Um, and it's hard to for me. Like I wrestle so much with songwriting. It was very difficult for me. So, and I work. I there's so many hours in each of those songs that I don't, I can't just like toss off songs. Mm. And um, so it's hard for me to speak like really specifically about where that stuff is coming from because it is such a wrestling match. It's not, um, I can't be as inc incisive or precise with it as I can from when I'm putting like my producer hat on, which I think is just a little more craft oriented and like, yeah, I, I can be a little, you know, wield a, a a small sharp knife, but with a songwriting, <laughs> it's like a baseball bat and an axe to get those things to come out. Um, and with genuine hesitation, I mean, that was that started off really as like a guitar strummer. It's, it was just sort of like a singy, talky type guitar strummer thing, and um, it had it's that tempo, like you said, that late '80s thing. It's kind of like dancer in the dark tempo, um, which it's funny because I, I wouldn't necessarily gravitate. This is a good example. I wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards that tempo, but like, that's what I got, yeah, you know, like in, yeah. in terms of song, like that's what came out. So, you know, you're just trying to frame that up good. I mean, with that song in particular, I was just thinking really spare. Um, I remember like craft work and ESG were actually the like sort of references that I had. And then Alan's guitar part um, did come out sort of, in the dire straits vibe which was i think really pushes it that way and plus plus the tempo is kind of that vibe and 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 the way i'm singing is sort of mark knopfler-esque sure um so that kind of like frames it up but that, that wasn't that's not really intentional that's just kind of a of course of dice rolls sometime do you ever i mean do you often find yourself sort of surprised by when things start kind of in one mold and then shift into another you know are you ever sort of surprised by the you know it's it's so interesting you being a producer as well as an artist you know let me let me rephrase that question a little bit how easy or difficult is it to sort of switch between those mo those modes for you well I, I i like it i mean it's sort of my preference that i mean that's what i like the best is sort of how but it, it's very um uh sequential in the sense that I worked on all the songs first. I have all the songs. I like make a bunch of notes and like a tome of directives and about how the songs are going to go. Sure. And then it's like I shut that off as all the lyrics are written every it's like I go from songwriter, switch that off. And then it's like, I'm producing those songs. So, 
things, you know, I think it's always important that you have room to pivot in the production. I mean, you know, I feel like the songs just serve, you know, and, and, and a, to pull back a, a little bit more, like for me, like the song, all the songs are, are personal and they have moments that I, that are really true and resonate with me. And hopefully in a broader sense, they, they resonate and can invite listeners in, but they really do serve as just a reason to get people in a room and, and make music together. I mean, that, yeah. I don't do this because I, I need to get songs off my back. Like I do it because I want to make music with people in a room and I want to build something from nothing. And the way that I have the opportunity to, opportunity to do that is to write songs. Yeah. And, and that, that serves as the gathering place for the community of musicians that I want to work with and I, and I have the opportunity to work with. So once we get in the room and I definitely have a, a vibe of the direction we're going, but all those guys, you know, might bring a, a interesting idea to the table or just things just go, you know, I mean, you're all, you're on a, you're on a timeline and, and you only have so much time. So if, if something starts to go a different direction and it, and it feels good and, you know, you're inspired by that. You, you kind of just have to follow that because you just have to leave room for, for some of that magic, I, you know, yeah. in terms of how I approach it. Yeah. So even with, with this record, with, with K-Bay, I mean, when you talk about timelines and stuff, how much of that is self-imposed, you know, because if you're doing it in kind of your own space on kind of your own timetable, you know, do you, do you, are you somebody who, who sort of needs deadlines and sort of needs goalposts so that you can keep it moving, yeah. you know? I, I mean, I would say yes to that. Um, but also, like, I'm always working with a lot of people. Like, that's... Yeah, well, right. That, that's part of what I'm doing. So that that's just, um, you know, that's that's money. I mean, that's budget. So, like, right. all, all, all of the sessions are based around a group of people working together and like you know i spend all the money so it's like it's like when <laughs> when that when when that time is over the record's over so it needs so starting at the beginning you like look yeah to the end and it's like okay well you know you do this session you do this session you do this session record some vocals record some arrangements do the post production and and but all of that is a partnership with people i'm never Hardly ever am I in the room by myself, just like tweaking stuff. That's not. I, sometimes you have to do that, and like all my vocals, I actually do by myself. Um, but other than that, like the the process of making music to me is is about partnership. It's com really communal. Um, yeah. Yeah, very communal, and and not to say that it's it's not group decision making and it's not a community decision making by any stretch but right. but I, I like i like working with people so in in that sense the you know you kind of have to you know respect people's time and 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 compensate them for that time and and that sort of um that imposes some restrictions on on time for sure sure i mean not to mention people got other things that they have to do you know and a million yeah. other things yeah. right right yeah definitely i mean i i i, I always remember you know we're coming up on what is close to about a, a decade's worth of uh 
you putting records out under your own name. You know, I think it's crazy. Next year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure, yeah. But to hear you mention the sort of how the communal element of it was such a crucial thing for you. When I first started interacting with your music, which was the solo stuff, you know, like I, I, I and then eventually kind of went back and would listen to some of the pre Matthew oh, E. White cool. stuff, you know. But when I first discovered or got into your stuff, it was definitely, you know, Space Bomb had this, it's, it's this thing of like, it's a label, it's a studio, it's a group of players, you know, it's a collective or whatever. And that to me was something that made it so, uh intriguing because i like i like a collective an awful lot you know what i mean um what what is it i mean were your first experiences playing music communal in that similar in in, in an interesting way that kind of kept you in that uh headspace or cemented for you that this is the way you like to to play music um not it's funny that not really i mean my um i was pretty stingy about being in bands like i don't know if that's because of just sort of natural shyness or or the community i grew up in was really like a, like a punk rock community mm. more so than which which i loved but wasn't like the kind of music that i wanted to be playing necessarily and um I don't know. It's in, that's an interesting question because, but I didn't ever play like solo gigs or anything like that. It was um, when I came to school in Richmond, I started a band and, and, and really everything has, is a direct line back, back to that band. And that was the first time when I came here, it was, I was around more musicians that were like-minded in terms of like our aesthetics and um, yeah, but it's always been, about organizing people get to get together and make something from nothing you know i, I think that's yeah that's always the case. You, you what what was your you grew up um you grew up pretty religious right i mean kind of in a in a yeah yeah i mean it's a complicated answer but yeah i mean long story short yes <laughs> um well i'm curious about the complications for sure but for the purpose of this question we can keep it slightly limited and and i'll ask if if sort of communal singing or communal uh music making was a part of that religious uh background of of your early life well yeah i mean definitely i i mean i went to church every week from you know for the first 20 years of my life so a part of that community is is definitely singing yeah you know and yeah that's just a part of the tradition and um and just community in general in 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 you know faith-based traditions is a, so that's a a pillar of the whole thing you know is getting people together and being committed to that community in some ways so yeah it that that kind of stuff is a little hard for me to pull all the way back from because it was it was definitely such a big part of of my growing up but um yeah i mean the the, the music of of i was around you know it just it wasn't something i was aware of but yeah i was around that every week for sure what kind of what kind of music would would we have heard in in your church was it like kind of standard hymns was it the sort of yeah. more contemporary praise and worship kind of stuff no, 
it was more like standard piano organ yeah hymns yeah for for a long time for yeah for the majority of my growing up yeah yeah same same for me like i grew up in a really small church and it was like there was there we had a pianist and sometimes we didn't even have a pianist it was just a cappella singing yeah right that's cool not not necessarily because of any doctrinal reasons just because there wasn't somebody there to play the piano or whatever um, right. at one point they tried to get me to learn piano and I was so bad at piano, <laughs> but, but I could, so I could, ha- I could halfway sing still. So they made me lead singing in church yeah. as, a, as a kid. But anyway, all that is to say, you know, I definitely had moments that were, that felt very profound and, uh, um, you know, sort of spiritual, uh, moments of, of pretty intense feelings that I feel definitely the music was a part of that, you know, and the expression was a part of that. And even though in the intervening years, you know, I've let go or, or rejected plenty of the things that I grew up around, you know, um, I always wonder about that, you know, what, what sort of um, ideas that sort of group setting put in my head about music you know or, or about its role or its, imp- its importance you know what i mean yeah that's, that's that's interesting um i probably haven't thought about it <laughs> as that direct but i mean it is so much of that in any faith-based community it's about creating a moment you know like mm-hmm. and create and and being able to you know what was so bothersome sometime about religious settings is it, it is so focused on like creating an emotional event um and so and a lot of times that is that is through music but but really we do the same thing when we're making records it's like yeah you are you're creating you know i think it's really important to sort of the tension and release of building two moments and 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 then releasing from them and and framing different words in different ways and all, all that stuff, you know, you see that in the history of people making music, but for cert, for, for certain in the church as well. You mentioned that, you know, you kind of were involved in sort of punk rock bands and stuff like that. What was the, what was the first stuff that made you want to make music yourself outside of any sort of, uh, you know, church setting or anything else? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I, it was some. I don't know. It's it's funny because I don't really come from a family of musicians, but I, for as long as I can remember, I, I just sort of said that that's what I was going to do. Um, mm. I listened to. I mean, I was I loved music when I was little, and we grew up. I grew up um, a lot of my younger years in the Philippines, and um, it was my parent. My dad was the principal of a school over there, and um, I think you know, I only had the music that I had. And I, it's interesting when looking back on that, because I think that experience did a real a sort of a strange thing to my cultural awareness and, the, and my idea of music being new or not new, because there wasn't anything new. It was just like, you had the music that you had. Sure. And there wasn't, I had never had any sense of like, Oh, well, this is, a, this is a new record that just came out, or this is a new band. That's like a big, so that's like uh, some hot shit band or like, right. You know, whatever, like we just didn't have that. It was just like culture as an idea was really more of just it, like t- time stood still in a way, you know? And, yeah. and, and even now I, I feel very un 
um, unaware, but also uninterested and, but also very uh, unattached from like the idea of like, okay, this year, these records came out and these are the top records of the year. And now, okay, what, what are the new releases in 2022? I, I just don't really think about it like that, you know? And like when I'm listening to music, sometimes it's a record, a new record. And sometimes it's, you know, not. And, and, yeah, and I, yeah. I just really don't aren't, find myself. It's very difficult for me to plug into the industry in the in sort of the forward moving momentum of it. Yeah. And I think so, so much of that is related to as a kid that, you know, for me and for my older siblings who would normally be passing down new music or like, oh, I got this new record. or I got this new tape. Like, yeah, that just wasn't a part of it. So, um. Uh, I forget where, what the actual question was. Where were we? I think the I think the actual question was maybe you know what are some what are some of those those tapes or oh, CDs oh, right, or whatever right, right. that you, that you did have that made you want to do this yourself? Yeah, right. So when I was over there, I had for some reason I had a um, a couple Beach Boys tapes and some Chuck Berry tapes, and the, I listened to that um, like religiously. I mean, I have very strong memories of just being you know, three or four years old and just like sitting on the couch with a little tape player and listening to the Beach Boys. Um, and I, I sort of told my parents from the from the very young that, you know, when it was like, what are you going to be when you grow up? I just said, well, I'm going to be a musician. But but not, but ironically, like not, a, I didn't think of, it didn't even really occur to me to be a singer songwriter. That wasn't the idea it was to be an instrumentalist or a producer or an arranger or something like that. I didn't really have the words for all that at the time, but um Of course not. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean the the Beach Boys were the first thing that and Chuck Berry, which is sort of funny cuz they're so, you know, those those two bands are actually so weirdly interlinked because of Well, yeah, of course. Like, um So yeah, anyway, those the, those are the first two things that kind of sent me on my way and then it's obviously been a variety of stuff along the way. When I discovered jazz music in high school, early high school, that that was a real gear shift um, in terms of understanding wh where all this music was coming from and you know what what kind of history this all revolved around. Um, that really helped open my eyes. And did you did you have a teacher or somebody who hipped you to that stuff, or was it more kind of stuff you were finding on your own? Um, I, I guess what happened is sort of earlier in high school, I, I played guitar and, and I, I thought of myself as a pretty good guitar player, which I wasn't really, but, but that, you know, <laughs> I sort of had that in my head and I knew that, you know, I come from a pretty traditional household and like, there was no way I wasn't going to college. That was just like, right. That was just something that was going to happen. And I knew that, you know, you could either I had to go to music school. If I wanted to do what I wanted to do, I was going to have to go to music school and I was, and I was going to play guitar. And I just kind of looked into it and I was like, well, I'm going to either play classical guitar or jazz guitar. And, you know, I was like, okay, well I'll play jazz guitar. Cause that was related more to like, at that point I had gotten into some like Allman brothers or like some jammy type stuff or, or Modesky Martin and Wood, like that kind of world was pretty influential to me. And yeah, so, you know, that was like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to go do. And, and then just started 
I don't know, went to like Blockbuster Music. I mean, literally, I just went to Blockbuster Music, went to the jazz sesh section and bought like three CDs that were names like a Miles. I bought like a Miles Davis CD, a Thelonious Monk CD, and a John Coltrane CD because I like recognized those names not, somehow. Not not so not so bad. I think I bought Miles Davis because I heard him mentioned in uh, like an Adam Sandler movie <laughs> or something. Yeah, right. So it's just kind of in the air. So and then and then you know I started taking lessons like like jazz guitar lessons more like as a high schooler and um but it really wasn't until i got to vcu here in richmond that that kind of came into focus a little bit and and i think for me really if we're talking about people that were, were a teacher to me I, I um i approached this trumpet player named stephen bernstein um who is uh, a trumpet player in new york trumpet player and arranger and he uh he's just he's played with everybody um he's an incredible musician makes incredible music of his own and um kind of a sort of part of that john lurie downtown john zorn yeah. scene in the 80s and 90s and um kind of cold hit him up cold with an email about talking to him about music and i really i was sort of on an arranging tip and wanted to learn about arranging more from him and he was incredibly generous with his time. Um, I, I like wanted to take a lesson and sort of lied to him about when I was going to be in New York. And and he was like, yeah, just come. I'll be available Tuesday. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to be there Tuesday. And, you know, just drove up yeah, six yeah. hours from <laughs> yeah. or whatever to be there. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, over the years in my 20s, like he really – I think connected the dots for me from like he he's he's in the jazz world for sure but also did arranging for like Lou Reed and and a lot of Hal Wilner productions and kind of like sort of the art rock New York City jazz rock crossover community and yeah um, yeah he just he connected a lot of dots for me in terms of where jazz sits where rock and roll sits where soul music sits where big band music sits and like it's just this big american music narrative and it's all connected and so much of the template we have for producing songs even now comes from how big bands framed vocalists in the 20s and 30s and that's right and you and because you know by that time i was realizing i really wasn't that great of a jazz guitar player like that wasn't what i was going to do um and you know, arranging and, and in turn producing, like sort of had caught my eye and, and he, he just did, he really, but when I was thinking arranging and producing, I'm thinking like horns, you know, like in a more traditional way. And and he really, I remember, you know, he pulls up the white album and Sly and the family stone and on the corner as like these pillars of American music arranging and, and you know, talking about Quincy Jones arranging for Count Basie, but also talking about Quincy Jones producing Thriller and how, like, if you look at Thriller and Count Basie, it's like so related in terms of right, right, how everything is set up. And you know, he he really, I mean, completely changed my life in ter in terms of like how I saw music working, not only like the nuts and bolts of it and how chords and melodies work together, but and, and rhythms, but but also just how style how so styles can be really specific and it's important to understand their specificity but also 
how they're related to each other and yeah and so much of what what we think of as maybe disparate is is pretty closely linked and and you can learn a lot from that you know hey you're listening to aquarium drunkard transmissions we'll be right back but first a word from our sponsor okay so hello today 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 every day on radio lab we have the story as old as time. Uh, this story begins. I guess you could say with a mystery. Slippery mystery. It's like a a journey about this thing. Birds. Money. Spicy science. Man versus animal. An emergency room doctor. Crap. Non-fiction. It's Radio Lab. Take me away. Yes. 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 Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I think another one of the first things of yours or of your work that I encountered was uh you worked with mountain goats. You worked with John Darnell on, yeah. uh, was it transcendental youth? Is that the record? Yeah. Um, was that, that was, a, I mean, that came out around the same time as, as big inner, I think. Um, yeah. I remember them being pretty close together. Were you working on those two things simultaneously? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't remember actually. Well, yeah. I will, Beginner took a second to come out. So I recorded it in 2011 like this winter of 2011 and then it came out this late 2012 so um probably i mean probably did transcendental youth right after that because because john Danielle's turnaround times are so quick like he just it's like he records it and then puts it out so yeah that dude i was, I, I was kind of sitting on beginner for a second just to try to position it well but um but then we ended up, I don't know if you know, we ended up touring together because of that. Um, so like all my first touring with Beginner was with the Mountain Goats and like we shared horn sections. And yeah, really I remember hearing, you know, either bootlegs of that stuff or, so, or some live thing and just thinking how cool it was. Because, I mean, that was like a, a, a point in the Mountain Goats where, you know, since then, uh, stylistically, Darniel and and his guys have gone all kind of all over the map a little bit um and and there was some sort of stylistic experimentation going on previous to tran- transcendental youth but right. to hear those arrangements that you did those 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 parts it was like wow this is so cool to hear this sort of melodic counterpoints and an adornment you know to a group that like maybe when you first got into the mountain goats you were probably used to Darnell on acoustic guitar you know right. recording in a boom box or whatever so hearing the sort of um i guess i want to say sort of audaciousness of some of the work you did on that that record to me was so cool it was such a such a, a cool introduction to to you that's cool man that, that's nice to hear i don't i don't talk i don't get to talk about that stuff or hear anyone's feedback on it that yeah, much well yeah sure but, right because you're just the you're the you're the name in a, in, in the credits yeah, or whatever right yeah 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 that's cool i mean you know what's funny about that is um i just i was just texting the bass trombone player that played on that record and then he was like, like i mean he was probably like 19 at the time and then went on to tour with the mountain goats and i he just played um he was the trombone player on the Miley Cyrus New Year's Eve thing. Oh, uh, yeah. That happened. And I was like, I just, t- you know, I saw, I texted him. I was like, Reggie, man, like, this is a fucking amazing, dude. Like, 
like, it's so cool to see you up there, you know? And he was like, well, he's like, you know, doing the beginner tour and the mountain goats really like set me up for this. And we were just like kind of rapping about the mountain goats that's, thing. And that's wild. That's cool. wild. Yeah. You know, I, uh, this, our episode, our talk is going to air in, you know, I think next month or so it's going to be a little bit farther removed from new year's than we are right now. But we'll keep this part in. Cause I want to say that like, while I watched some of that I was flipping between that and the twilight zone marathon. Um, yeah, right. And uh, and I remember think I I thought whoa it's kind of cool that there's a band on stage at all at this cool. thing like what a that I mean because it's like certainly not something that you just it's guaranteed you know at this yeah, point yeah. I thought that was so yeah. cool I thought that was so cool yeah yeah me too you know so so in the sort of like intersection of all your stuff there's the singer songwriter stuff and then there's the sort of more improv stuff and another one of your recent projects leans much more on that on that uh side of things the record you made with lonnie holly which is Mm -hmm. nuts it's an it's an insane sounding record um the 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 bass tones alone you know there's just something so massive and heavy about what's going on on that you know and then talk about the sort of electric miles approach and and really mining some of that but but then you've got Lonnie who I've had the fortune of seeing a few times and even speaking on this podcast once there was some I I recorded a talk with him in Marfa Texas when he was doing Marfa Myths and and it didn't work out to where we could actually like record it in any uh with my mics or my mixing board or anything for some reason. So I just ended up recording it on my phone, sitting out on a patio with him. And at one point he starts talking about the bird song and it was just like a pretty magical moment. He's such an interesting and intuitive guy. Um, Was that your first interaction with him or had you guys like crossed paths, you know? We had crossed paths a little bit. His first record in beginner came out in very close proximity and, um, I don't know. We, he had just kind of been on my, there was some talk about us touring together back, back then when that came out and it was just, we, I think, or at least he had been on my radar. And then I ran into him and his manager in London um, and kind of befriended them. You know, they're sort of from, from the Southeast and my family's from Alabama and just talked, talked about that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, that record is, is kind of wild because all of those, that whole session is from K Bay. I mean, the one of the things with K Bay that I did was do um, sort of alternate, more or less like electric miles versions of a lot of the songs. Yeah. And there was a whole session dedicated to that, and and came up came out with some really amazing music. And the reason I did it was because I wanted to have like sample material to like cut in between on some of the tracks. So like the very beginning of the record, genuine hesitation, like the the sort of glockenspiel hi-hat sample thing is like that's from the improv sessions and then it cuts over to like the nor the more normal track sure when the drums come in and um so i just had like a hard drive of all this wild versions of the you know of these songs and actually it's it's funny because that that is what the lonnie record is is like extrapolated insane versions of some of the songs that are on k-bay yeah yeah but it didn't you know i finished making k bay and i just had all this music and then um i kind of it had kind of done its thing what it was going to do on the record it was just sort of sitting there and then and then lonnie asked me to 
play some shows with them or put together a band to play some shows with them. And when we were doing those shows, it's just like, wow, like what if Lonnie would sing over this music? You know, what if like, and that sort of gave me a reason to like edit, to clean it up a little bit, edit it for a little bit more narrative. I mean, not that there's a ton of narrative in those songs. They're very unwieldy, but yeah, but they're, they're a little bit more cleaned up than they were live. Um, and just kind of made, just worked on some things for him to sing over. And we just met up one day and did the whole record in like four hours. And um, it was, you know, it was just kind of like one of these records that comes from, this just ma- it just comes from magic, you know, like right. it, 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 everything fell into place. And it's funny having that came out before K Bay, but was, was made significantly after K Bay yeah. by a year or more. And, um, it, it's so funny having a record like K Bay, which was such a massive workload in terms of scope and, um, just kind of hurting the whole thing and, and you know like um you know yeah like scope and size are kind of a, a part of that record it's just like getting a lot down and, and and like dynamic contrasts and how big something can be and how small but anyway it just took a lot of work long story short but the Lonnie record was just like so yeah that like the dominoes were just like bam 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 it was, it was just cool to make that um after i had done k bay and and also that you know i, I think if i had had my really had my way like what i, I would have they would have been released as the same record they would it would have been like a four disc k bay sessions because to me they're they they're literally from the k bay sessions they're they're the same right it's the same all of that stuff was intended to be that way. And the Lonnie piece was just a, really a gift um, and kind of came in last second. But to me, the records are really, really attached for for really, well, spiritual reasons, but also really practical ones too. Yeah, yeah. Could you talk to me a little bit about what connects them, you know, either thematically or, or spiritually? I mean, he's talking very much about sort of, you know, the selfie element of it the sort of social media aspect of what what he's talking about well i mean literally like if you listen to nested on k bay and you listen to broken mirror selfie reflection the song they're the same song yeah like it's the same like all it's 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 not i mean it's not the same take right but 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 broken mirror selfie reflection is sort of my electric miles arrangement of nested on k bay right right if you listen to them back to back, you would you would be like, oh shit, yeah, those that's the same thing, right? And then and a few of the other tracks are the same way, like they're they're actually the same goalposts in terms of like, you know, they're really really, really extrapolated from the songs. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. But I, I guess what I'm saying is like the they are those Lonnie songs are extrapolated literally from the k-bay material and when they were recorded originally it wasn't to put lonnie on them it was to be sort of mere ironically like yeah. mirror images of this k-bay stuff and then, and then lonnie came along and basically like in a weird way like contextualize all of that 
you know, by when he's talking about technology and, and mirror images and like, that's like a whole theme in the record, which is so strange, but because it was released first, it was difficult to talk about that because no one knew what the other, the other side of it was what the other side of it was. Right, so it's, it's kind yeah. of like a, like a dub, like sort of like a spoken word dub version of K Bay in a weird compositional way. But did you did did you feel was there any part of you that felt weird about that you know sort of like proprietary in terms of like i want this thing that i'm making to be its own thing or or when when i think about like you know a producer like lee scratch perry you know for <laughs> for whom like the the recordings can can be used however and in various ways and in different ways yeah. and and the same thing yeah. can be presented however many different times in however many different iterations yeah. and if it works it works you know um but i wonder if you felt any like hesitation or 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 you know sort of like even internal just weirdness about about that sort of shared space between these two records that due to the necessity of the industry came out at different times and all that uh, I mean, at this point, like, I'm pretty, uh, I don't know, well-versed in the in the practicalities and pragmatism <laughs> yeah. of how the industry has to work at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and also, there are some benefits to them being separate, too, because I, I, I think I like that Broken Mirror sort of stands on its own. Like, I, I didn't want it to be, like, sort of an alternate version, because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's really like that. I, I think it is its own thing. It's just, you know, for me, like a guy who likes, who likes to know the narratives kind of stuffed in the corners like that, it, like, yeah, that's, I just get off on that kind of stuff. So, so for me, like, I, I really hang on to that. It's like really interesting to me that they're so related, yeah. but I think in broad strokes, it's helpful for people to see them as separate. I, mean, I think that record did, did a lot um, to connect me sort of publicly for lack of a better word like back to more experimental traditions and instrumental traditions which which really is like home base for me but like that's not how necessarily i'm i'm seen all the time sure sure so that was kind of part for me that was sort of part of part of setting up k bay was to try to get that narrative like back in front in front of me that like Cause you know, what's, what's interesting about that record is it's like a Matthew E. White record, but I don't, you know, I don't sing on it, which is, which is really natural for me and, and doesn't, I don't bat an eye at that, but I think it helped broaden that, that, you know, was a surprise to, to the everyday person who might know who, you know, might be familiar a little bit with my music, but doesn't know anything about my background and so that that was kind of why we why we did that and and I think it was successful in that way in terms of because K Bay has its own sort of set of experimental tendencies and I felt like the Lonnie record made that more um, you know just kind of set laid laid the groundwork for for some of the stuff that's on K Bay even though the stuff on K Bay is mostly in the song based format but it, it you know having them be separate pieces of work I think was did have its upsides for sure for sure for sure you talked about that sort of being you know your roots and improvisation being sort of where you really kind of 
started, you know, to kind of forge your own your own voice, you know. I assume we're talking post-punk rock days, unless you were in improvisatory punk bands, but I mean... No, no, I was never really in any <laughs> punk bands. I just went to a lot of punk shows. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> you know, do you... Um, what? Is there a sort of philosophy to improv for for you personally, and does it differ at all from what how or rather how does it differ from bringing a group in to record a set of songs? I mean, I know that's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of an easy answer to provide if you just were to say, well, in one case the songs are already written, yeah. and then in the other the they're not. So uh, so that established, you know. Do you feel like the, I mean, the two things sort of feed into each other and, and echo back on each other? And, and what is it about the two different sort of formats that, that excites you? Well, I think for me, where what's exciting is to, to bring improvising musicians into a setting that has more restrictions than an improvised, a normal, quote unquote, normal improvised format. Yeah. And like allow some of that freedom to come out within the structure of sort of a, a more normal production. Like if you listen, like a good example, this is an off K Bay, but like, um, like if you listen to like the first track off that record I did with Flo Morrissey, look at what the light did now, like that bass track is like that shit crazy. It's a crazy, crazy t- bass take. Yeah. And I think that that is a good example of giving someone freedom um, within a broader context. Context and improvising traditions can really transform a song because it's you know it's a it's a powerful way to play music. And in that context, like the rest of the band is playing pretty much straight like Motown soul style stuff, but Cameron is is almost playing free like charlie hayden style walking atonal ornette coleman bass i mean it's pretty yeah pretty out and um i think you know that's that's exciting to me you know i like songs and i like i like connecting with an audience i like it when people you know part of the free jazz tradition is is turning your back on the audience a little bit And, and that's sort of part of the philosophy and I think there's a, a place for that and there's sort of sort of a power in that. But at the same time, I, I, I really enjoy, you know, there's a reason I'm, I'm releasing records with songs and I'm singing is I, I do enjoy that, that space, but, but I'm also very comfortable bringing in experimental elements or, or sort of outsider elements or, or allowing parts of the track to be um, very improvised and, and sort of inviting that, uh, spirit into you know a pretty controlled produced uh, you know a producer's production type type environment yeah 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 and so you've been you've been focusing on on making stuff more in the improvised vein over the last uh no i made i made um it no some of it's more like uh over the past year last year i recorded um one instrumental record that is, is like like almost guitar based, like a um, with a, a friend of mine, and that I'm really excited about that. It's like um, 
I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's very, it's it's pretty accessible, but sort of experimental guitar, but with with some like pretty crazy rhythm tracks. Sure. Um, uh, some like sample did, did some session did a whole instrumental record that's like doing more of the stuff like I did with Lonnie, but then sampling it and sort of making it into to sort of more like sample music or hip hop inspired music. Yeah. Um, that's kind of get into like sampling my own like creating environments like creating unique environments that I can get to as a producer, but then sort of taking them into my own space and, and sampling them or flipping them or like dubbing them out in a more intense way. Um, and then made, and then made um, a kind of accidentally fell into making another LP too, which is really cool. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's like with that sample kind of based record, it's like, a lot of times as a producer, I'm going in and and asking them to do kind of play like, I don't know, like Pharaoh Sanders or Sun Ra or, or kind of creating situations that are sort of electric miles. But then I'm I'm taking that material, dubbing it out and flipping it and making beat. Yeah. Music, hip hop music, you know, like music that's definitely in that tradition for sure. And that's kind of new. I mean, that's sort of stuff I've been messing around with, but hasn't been. I mean, nothing I've done publicly has been like that. So um, that'll be kind of new when whenever that finds its way out. But that's awesome. I feel like you can you're even though, of course, you're right that like that stuff hasn't come out or, or that like your your work hasn't been predominantly in that mode. Like you can hear it on the periphery of what you're doing, too. You know what I mean? It's cool and exciting to hear that you're exploring that a little bit deeper. I th well, I think so much of K-Bay is about, um, you know, I kind of miss talking about this in like my first round of interviews with the record because I, it is, it's nice doing this talking to you about it because it's just been a while since I've done an interview and I sort of set with not only the music, but with the other interviews I've done and what I've said about the record and like what- That was exciting to me too, man. I was excited that I was like, oh yeah, we might be able to have a talk that's not just, you know, because it's, it's easy to, yeah. to talk about the same things, especially yeah. when you're- you know, it's a, it's a process of discovery for you too, you know? So Yeah, it is. It, it really is. And and one of the things I thought about so much was how K-Bay, like, obviously that, I'm not sampling that material, but, but the idea of the, the broadness of the sort of source material, for lack of a better word, like in terms of like how genuine hesitation, like you said, like a dire straits thing, or, but the ends ends in like a very like out, Mm -hmm. um like early 20th century like atonal classical kind of piece and then so, like electric is very sort of like blown out jackson five kind of vibe and like just there's all these sort of different source material from a genre perspective and i think for me like when i look back on it and after talking about the record like so much of that is inspired by listening to Hip hop music and how yeah. you know producers in that genre <clears throat> have no have complete disregard for like what genre is going next to next to each other in a beat or or in a in an album and and there's so much freedom there while also respecting the source material and and respecting the history and the historical narrative and yeah and the the original makers and I think there's a lot of that spirit um, and a lot really a lot that I've learned from the freedom that uh you know different like Mad Lib or 
knowledge or Pete rock or any of those guys like DJ premier, like any of those sort of whether they're new or older, like those beat makers. I mean, that's really like, I mean, truly that's the music. I, that is the music I listen to 80% of the time. Yeah. It is older or more modern um, hip hop or, or just sort of instrumental beat, ma- beat maker music at this point. Yeah. Like it, this really inspiring tradition. Um, it makes sense. Cause it's kind of the end of not the end, but it's the current iteration of, of so much of yeah um, yeah music that I love and and but I I think when I look at K Bay from from a few steps back like I I see a lot of just just the freedom of like placing like how things are placed next to each other and they can be kind of shocking a little bit but or 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 uncomfortable but also there's a lot of interest to me in sort of juxtaposing styles or sort of historical moments next to each other yeah those elements those elements and the way they contrast and the way they cohere you know sometimes in strange ways that is i mean that's what creates excitement you know in a in a record for for me you you included a uh there's a there's a mad lib song on your you have a playlist on spotify of like your favorite stuff Mm -hmm. um and i mean i think last Last year, when he put when that Sound Ancestors record came out, which is one of my favorite records of of twenty twenty one for sure, mind blowing record, forty minutes, yeah. just like concise, right there, incredible, incredible record. But I remember reading that the the New Yorker piece, and and I mean Madlib makes sometimes multiple beats a day, you know, that are just like yeah. for no yeah. for nobody, you know, like uh. <laughs> Or, yeah. or, or not not for nobody for him i mean but, but primarily not even you know for commercial release or whatever i thought how how wild that is to think about that amount of time you know but um but there was one other song on that playlist that to close i think we could i i, I wanted to ask you uh it's one of my all-time favorite songs the flamingos i only have eyes for you i mean i think that's probably it's definitely one of the greatest recordings uh, ever. Uh, the the atmosphere, mind blowing. I wonder if you could tell me what it is that that you sort of what draws you to that one specifically. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. It's funny. I've talked to, I've had a conversation about this one song like a handful of times in the past couple months. Like, I think, I mean, there's just um, the way they had to record those songs at that time. Um, there's so much bleed and there's so much just uh it's kind of like a a sort of a pragmatic like we have to get this done so it's just going to be what it's going to be yeah and and there's like a an inevitability that comes from that almost like conflict that gets results that you would never get now you just wouldn't you wouldn't put up most people wouldn't put up with the the sort of sonic problems that I'm a hundred percent sure they were dealing with when they were recording that track, whatever it is, because it's so odd the way that that came out. It's a great song, which is the centerpiece of all of it, you know, like just melodically and harmonically and, and lyrically. Um, but the vocal arrangement is amazing, but it's just that the, 
it's what you said. It's the atmosphere. It's like it, you just don't hear stuff. You don't really don't hear. Yeah. A lot. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like you don't hear a lot like that because that whatever situation they were recording under was one of a kind. And I think you found that much more in the fifties yeah, and sixties. And that's become less and less and less the case where now you can recreate, recreate recording environments or, or there isn't as many um, intrusive elements that are going to change the, the sonics of a song. Right. And, and whatever that, that truly is a record of that moment. Um, in whatever it was. And, and I think there's intangibles that are going on in that recording process and in that room that, that are unrecreatable. And, and for whatever reason, it just, it's like a magic, it's a magic track, you know, it's, uh, it kind of sounds, what's weird is it continues to, (laughs) it sounds really modern to me. It always sounds really like almost avant-garde in a, in a way like, yeah, just the way how atmospheric it is, it is really even though obviously there's so many there's a lot of stylistic like touchstones from the time obviously, but but it still is so it's pretty far out. It's almost psychedelic in a way. No, yeah, you you couldn't have put it any better. I mean, and it's no like surprise that somebody like Brian Eno was obsessed with doo wop music, you know, or or yeah. so many others, right? Because there is something that. A, a, a kind of a magical thing that happens a combination of all those those guys playing their parts and doing that in the moment but then the phantom bleed from one mic to another the the yeah, so bleed. it sort so of sounds bleed. underwater almost it's yeah. just such a i mean vibey is a word that gets overused but like if you were to try to come up with like a, a dictionary definition it might be that song you know what i yeah. mean in terms of like yeah, I've just I've always been obsessed with that one. I think like so many. I also think about how funny it is. I grew up in the 80s and 90s and how much 50s and 60s music, you know, I heard kind of con- you know, con- contemporaneously, you know what I mean? Like not and not really recognizing that it was from however long ago. Yeah, you don't hear that anymore. I was just talking to my wife about this cuz I was singing along to like some doo-wop song and um i had all these back when i was talking about when i was in the philippines we had all these like old like oldies tapes golden oldies type yeah things. yeah and there's like and i i listened i mean i listened to that like non-stop and so there's like you know 100 songs probably from the 50s that i know and and probably kids that grew up like we just know back and forth like all the lyrics all yeah. you know because that that still was a part of the culture that's right and it's interesting because it is, I mean, it's pretty much gone. Like you don't hear on like cla- classic rock stations obviously still exist, but they, but they play like some sick, you know, some sixties music, like Motown stuff or whatever, but like they don't play anything really like that. Like, I don't think you would hear right. no. only have eyes for you on a classic rock station. And there's a bunch like blue moon at the hop, like all there's all these like, old doo-wop songs that uh that i feel like i that are really like in my bones that it is interesting that they're, they're pretty much gone like it's like uh it's like our generation with with like jazz is pop music like we didn't really grow up with any right any sort of big band 
type. So we there were still like horns around, you know, like there's horns on late night and like the big, the late night shows are sort of based around a big band still when we were growing up. But but big band is like pop music was not yeah. in the air. Like that was pretty much gone. And um, I feel that same way with doo-wop, really early rock and roll, like El even Elvis, like stuff like that. Or it's, it's just kind of off completely off the radio radio so yeah you, you kind of got to go find it if you if you want it it's it's around you can get it yeah you can find it on your spotify playlist <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can get, it real, get it real easy it's just, <laughs> it, but but it was like on i'm i'm in 95 7 oldies oh, like yeah. that was that was the oh station. yeah yeah and i listen to that. that's what i listen to and and that just that's just not around anymore well, I'm glad that it got in there though into your DNA, um, and I'm glad that it's uh, it's it's a part of what you do, uh, Matthew. It's been it's been really a, a lot of fun talking with you. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, yeah. Thanks for taking yeah, like the time, that. man. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Thanks. Happy to do it anytime. I'm a huge fan of Aquarium Drunkard, and um, it's just really honored to to be able to uh, speak with. You. Man, well, the respect is very mutual, and the fandom is very mutual. So, thanks so much for doing it. Uh, we'll talk again. Yeah, absolutely, man. going to bring this week's episode to a close thank you so much for listening i'm jason p woodbury i write host and produce transmissions our audio is edited by andrew horton and our show is executive produced by justin gage aquarium drunkard's founder and the host of the aquarium drunkard show which airs every wednesday night at 7 p.m pst on sirius xmu you can find Aquarium Drunkard on social media and at Patreon. And of course, you can head over to our site, Only the Good Shit, since 2005. If you dig transmissions, I want to encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word. We are an independent outlet, and we're always trying to pick up new listeners and get more people turned on to what we're doing, these sort of freeform conversations that I, I hope are an engaging break from the daily uh, uh, rigmarole and I hope that if you enjoy the show you can help us out by spreading the word and uh, proclaiming loud and proud that you're uh, an aquarium drunker transmissions head transmissions head is, is a pretty weak nickname for the transmissions fan community perhaps if you have a better suggestion you could uh hit me up on on twitter where i spend uh an inordinate amount of time um next week on the show i'm really excited for next week's episode and i think you're gonna be so into it we've got steve shelley and lee ronaldo uh talking sonic youth it was an absolute blast to sit down with those guys and get into uh, discussing uh, their new uh, archival release in out in out on three lobed records and they'll uh, kind of take a look at the last decade the latter latter part of the sonic youth saga it was really um it was really an inspiring and fantastic conversation so i hope you will join us for that next wednesday when we drop an all-new episode of transmissions uh stay safe out there keep your uh keep your head as healthy as you can and uh, get in touch if you want to talk more about what we're doing here on the show check out the patreon i'll uh, i'll get out of your your ears now thanks for being here with us this transmission is concluded <laughs> <laughs>